What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. Today's interview is with the Athletics' Nicole Auerbach, and it's all about this season in college football. Two things before we dive in. First, we recorded this on Wednesday, September 30th, which might feel like forever ago, but was actually only eight days ago. Second, Nicole has an adorable dog named Red, and you will probably hear him making some noise in the background during this interview because... Well, dogs need and want love, too. Okay, let's go. So I'm just going to start with, who are you and what do you do? I am Nicole Auerbeck, and I'm a senior writer. I cover college football primarily for The Athletic. So can you – I find this all very confusing. I'm not following college football very much anymore. Who is playing college football right now? Or maybe is there anyone who's not playing? Like what's actually going on? As of Wednesday, September 30th, not everyone is playing. The leagues that have started to play are the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the American, and Conference USA, and the Sun Belt. Sorry. So we're at six right now. Six of the 10 FBS leagues, which is the leagues that, you know, go to the college football playoff, that play in bowl games. Most of FCS... Uh, is not playing. So that is hmm. a lot of the leagues that um, are either basketball centric or, you know, just aren't as big time college sports. Um, the FCS playoffs are also run by the NCAA. So they are not having fall championships. So that was also a factor. But the other 10 leagues operate outside of the NCAA for football because they don't run their postseason. So As of now, you have six leagues playing, three of the power five, but in the last couple of weeks, we Mm -hmm. have gotten restart plans from everybody else. So in a few weeks, the Big Ten will come back, the Pac-12 will come back, Mountain West will come back, and the MAC will come back. So everyone has plans now to play in fall of 2020. They're going to play different amounts of games, and that's even with the planned schedules, but obviously there's going to be postponements and cancellations, so we don't actually know how many games everyone's actually going to play. (laughs) So a hard thing to answer. I mean, there's been already a ton of postponed games, right? Like, it's it's been a big mess. So what are the reasons that school presidents, conference commissioners, head coaches maybe have given for returning to play, even as we see universities themselves struggling on campuses, dorms locked down, issues with COVID all over the place. Like what, what are they actually saying is the reason they're doing this? It's a layered question um, and, a, and a good one. So okay, back when some of these leagues did postpone, or at least the way that they talked about this back in like June and July, they were really nervous about campuses reopening in general and the regular student populations and and the spikes that that would mean. And I think there were a lot of people that expected that if there were a thousand cases at the University of Alabama, for example, that that school would shut down, that 
Everyone would go online. It would be really hard to justify still playing sports. And really what happened in August and then early September was people just kept playing through. Um, people didn't shut down. And I, I honestly kind of think that the turning point was when Notre Dame had its first outbreak with regular students back on campus. And instead of sending everybody home, which they said they considered, they just did a two-week pause. Basically, they said, everyone just do online classes from your dorms. Let's get this outbreak under control and we'll reevaluate in two weeks. And by not sending everyone home, because I think at, even at a place like Notre Dame, it would be a hard sell to say, you know, this is a place that takes itself so seriously academically. Like, I think it would be a hard sell to say, we're still going to let our football teams here. Was that your dog? That is, that is Red. <laughs> Hi, Red. Hey, come here. <laughs> come here. Okay. So Notre Dame takes itself very serious academically. And I don't think even though it has aspirations of big time football at all time, competing for national championships, I just think it still would have been a hard sell to keep the football team there if everyone else goes online. So when they decided not to... So like, you mean it would be like a hard justification at that point? Yes. Okay. And that's been one of the big questions. It's, it's almost beyond an optics question, but it's definitely an optics problem if the entire campus is in remote learning and the football team is still practicing and playing. And we have schools that are doing that right now as we, as we speak. And I also think it's an issue in terms of the NCAA model itself because this is a model that has been challenged in court repeatedly. And the defense is that they're student athletes, that they are like other students. So if there's no other students there, then you can't really make that claim and also in some of these places, you don't even have other fall sports being played. So they're not even right. like other student athletes. But people are moving on anyway. Like you asked what changed in the justification. Other people did it. Other people kept practicing and preparing for games. And there have been developments in testing. So the leagues like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that are coming back sooner than anticipated, because they were looking at the spring originally. Then they were looking at like January. And now the Big Ten's coming back in October and the Pac-12's coming back in November. They're justifying it by saying we have secured daily antigen testing. So we are going to spend all this money to have daily testing so that we know everyone's going to get tested, get the results, point of care testing, and then go on to the practice field, then go on to the game field. So we know that everyone tested negative before they practice. Because you have some of these programs, and this is what's causing postponements, you have a lot of places where, you know, they're doing two or three PCR tests a week. Those are the ones that are the gold standard, but you have to send them out to labs. Okay. So what you're seeing is sometimes, you know, a team gets tested and then continues to practice. Everyone's trying to follow all the right things. But again, they're not in a bubble. They're in a campus community. They're around other people. And then it turns out two days later, you get the result back or a day later and someone had tested positive, all of the people who are in close contact with them now have to go into quarantine for contact tracing. So that's really where we're seeing a lot of the postponements. It's catching a lot of people in contact tracing. So the leagues that are going to go to daily testing are hoping that they won't have that happen, that they'll be able to catch infections really soon before they can spread. Uh, before it becomes an outbreak. So that's, again, part of the justification that now that they have this testing piece, they feel better moving forward. They also have been addressing the concerns around myocarditis, which is that heart inflammation issue, um, which early 
emerging data suggests that it might be tied to COVID-19 at a more alarming rate than other viruses, they are getting more comfortable, again, because other leagues are doing this, saying, okay, we can't prevent the spread of this virus. We can mitigate what we can, but all we can really do is do screening and tests and EKGs and all of this stuff on the back end before we let someone go back to practice because that's dangerous. But we can manage by screening, we can identify and then figure out the plan of action from there before we let someone go back to practice or games or anything that's really strenuous. And people are more comfortable with that. I think that there were a lot of presidents and a lot of people, understandably, very nervous about this as you see the emerging data. And now they see people figuring out how to manage it and screen for it and test for it on the back end. And they're more comfortable moving forward. So it's really those two pieces from the medical standpoint, and then just the overarching backdrop of people are doing this. I mean, it's not been super smooth and there's been a lot of postponements and cancellations, but people are playing. So that changes the equation too, because they're figuring out how to do it. You have a bunch of players and coaches being like, how is it not safe for me, but it's safe enough for this school or Notre Dame is in the state over. How come they can do it? We can't. There's high school football in some of these states. There's a lot. So all of that dynamics and then those two medical pieces that they can use to kind of justify it, that's how we get here. Did any of them actually talk about money? Because, I mean, the cynical part of me assumes that that's a lot of what's driving this. Well, a little bit. Um, You've had a couple of presidents involved in these decisions to return say it's not about money. And to explain that, actually, and this is a decent point, it's going to cost a lot of money to do this type of testing. And so it's not like, okay, now we just get our millions. Like they're going to have to spend a lot to get through the season. They're not going to be in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, no fans in the stands, so no ticket revenue. But I think at the same time, you're seeing people be very honest about their financial hits to date. So you've had Big Ten athletic directors talk about how much they projected to lose with no season and then what the adjustment is with you know a truncated season. And then you also have places throughout the Big 12, throughout the ACC, that are playing and even some have reduced capacity and are going to have fans. And they're still saying, okay, we're still going to lose $40 million. So we're still having layoffs. We're still having pay cuts for our coaches and things like that. So I think the money conversation is there, but no one's coming out and saying like, we want our media rights revenue and it's going to be expensive to get there. And everyone's angry. And so we're going to do it to bring in some of that money, even though we can't bring in our ticket sale money. No one's coming out and saying that specifically, but obviously it's part of the factor. You know, we already are seeing, again, the projected losses have been adjusted based on getting that media money, which is the majority, maybe not the majority, but it's it's about 50% of the revenue that these athletic departments bring in at that level. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely significant. Like the idea that that's not a factor is ridiculous uh, knowing that. Uh, So what about the student athletes or the athletes themselves? Like, are we seeing players opt out? Can you tell us maybe about one of them and like the story behind why they've chosen to ride the bench or sit out, I guess, the season? They wouldn't even be on the bench. Yeah. So it's a good question because it's shifted. Um, I think you saw opt outs start in the summer and as we approach the season. And then there was a flurry of them when people weren't playing. And so you've actually seen some of the Big Ten players who decided to opt out and either just spend time with their family or prepare for the NFL draft and just not really engage with the risk on a college campus. You've seen 
star players like Rashad Bateman at Minnesota get clearance from the NCAA to return because they want it now that they have a season, they want to come back. And, you know, again, they're justifying it by saying these increased protocols, increased testing, I feel safer. Um, but you have seen it in a fair amount with with NFL draft hopefuls. Hmm. Okay. And I absolutely understand that. First of all, like there's risk of injury in a weird season that's kind of disjointed. Um, you didn't have your full off season for training. And then obviously the risk of COVID. I mean, if you can control your own settings and hire an agent who can hire a personal trainer for you or something and just, again, control your own settings more, that's better. So so you it made sense that you were seeing that. And now you're seeing some of those guys come back because they do want to play with their teammates and have their final year in college. So you have a couple players at Ohio State who did that as well. Um, but you do have ones that just straight up opted out. And the NCAA made a rule that you have to honor that player's scholarship for next year if they opt out for COVID reasons. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what that meant like the intent of that allowance because okay. you had individual schools doing it in leagues but then to have it as a blanket rule an example would be um memphis running back kenneth gainwell he opted out of the season at the end of august and he is a great player for memphis and he did it because as his father told the memphis commercial appeal he had four family members die from covid19 including oh his uncle. So this, and, and, and the decision came after his uncle's funeral. So you obviously have players who have been impacted by this. And I think even on teams that are playing and guys that are playing through, you have them talking, people have lost parents, people have lost relatives. And um, obviously it's a pandemic and over 200,000 people have died, but that obviously is a driving force in people's decisions about how closely it's impacted them, how safe they feel and their own, you know, their read on their risk or their, they want to be around their family and not be separate from them because, you know, you're going to be really isolated. You're not going to be able to go home, you know, every couple of weeks if you're used to that or things like that. So all of that factors in. um, And then I think you just also in general had Again, people who just maybe didn't want to deal with the disjointed season and, you know, the potential other issues with that. I think there's safety issues, physical safety issues. Um, and then a college campus, like I, I, I think about this myself. I'm not sure if I would have gone back if I was a regular student in this environment, right? And so I think it's really just evaluating all of those things. But I do think for the opt-outs that were related to COVID and not just preparing for the draft, I think that it absolutely mattered, you know, how closely you were impacted. You know, did you lose loved ones? Because I think as we know across the country, the closer you are to COVID, the more seriously you've been taking this and and the more um, you understand all of the restrictions and you've been wearing masks longer and things like that. So it's the same thing with, with these players trying to make a decision about a virus that maybe isn't going to, you know, they're otherwise healthy, they're 18 to 22, but maybe it's impacting other people in their community um, or they don't want to potentially spread it within their own family if they see them. So, you know, you, you've had players make that decision. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. It would be so hard to make that choice. I can't even imagine. Um, so we talked about the postponement of games and there have been so many. I feel like every week it's just like there's a list of them. I mean, that's one thing. But are there other issues that have arisen? Like how I wanted to ask you, like, how are they scheduling games like that's been a problem right like it's not even oh yeah scheduling and then actually doing the games like what other issues have you seen arise this this season 
actually, the scheduling piece is fascinating and really cool. Okay. It's actually a piece that, this is a sport that always schedules things 10, 15 years out. And everyone always complains about that. And they always claim that you have to do that or something. And now this whole off season, you've had people schedule games within like three hours or three days. And so I'm hoping that this actually carries over um, this type of flexibility. But it's funny because you had a, a number of leagues went conference only. So by doing that, it gives them more flexibility. So Notre Dame's playing an ACC schedule this year. Um, they kind of swooped in and saved them because Notre Dame's an independent. So Notre Dame Wake Forest gets postponed because of an outbreak at Notre Dame. Now, the ACC built their schedule with certain shared idle leagues. So they can plug that game to make it up somewhere else. So that's been a cool factor. Okay. Everyone redid their schedules in a way to maximize the rescheduling. And then also you have, you know, again, the, the teams that are playing out of conference or like a BYU is an independent, just scheduling frantically and having kind of like backup plans and, um, you know, people on the back burner with a shared open date if you need to, you know, if someone gets canceled on. So it's been kind of wild. And you've had teams like North Carolina had three weeks off because of postponements, cancellation, couldn't find an opponent for one of the days that they had open. They didn't want to, they didn't want to go three weeks without playing. And then Houston has had five different scheduled season openers and hasn't played yet. There have been outbreaks or contact tracing, you know, again, like limiting their opponents, and they have not played. They even got to the point against Baylor where that game got canceled on Friday. So I can't imagine the level of frustration there because none of the outbreaks or like the roster restrictions have been theirs. It's been the opponent every single time. So they can be like, I'm doing everything right. We're following all our rules, no outbreaks. And then they're getting these games canceled. So it is wild. They still have not played. Everything's bigger in Texas. That's interesting about that they had the idle weeks like built into the schedule. And all these moments where you're like, oh, you realized, like you guys know mm-hmm. that there were going to be problems here, um, that it wasn't going to go off without a hitch. So is there going to be a bowl season? And is there going to be a playoff series? Like I know we're talking about postponements. They built in idle weeks, all these things. But like, what is the calendar at this point? So this goes into scheduling a little bit as well as the playoff. Um, They pushed everything back. So normally, again, non-pandemic year, the conference championship games would have been, I believe, December 5th, is that if that's a Saturday. So instead of December 5th, all of these leagues pushed back. They said, we could also play on the 12th. We could also play on the 19th. So now everyone's playing their championship games the weekend of the 19th. And the college football playoff, which is very late. This is, you know, again, Christmas week. And the college football playoff is not picking its four teams until December 20th. So they're going to have a very short turnaround to prepare for the semifinals, which are right now scheduled for New Year's Day, New Year's Day Bowls. Also, all of the other bowls are still theoretically operating. Um, The NCAA removed its rule that you have to be 500 or better, which is usually six wins. So theoretically, like a three-win SEC team like could get invited to a bowl game. Huh. So we don't know. I mean, you're, you're like, are we going to have a bowl season? I don't know. I mean, flu season is going to pick up. Um, these campuses are kind of bracing for a second wave of outbreaks. We don't know. But right now, like the bowls are planning to operate. The bowl association like is planning to be involved. The playoff has their new selection date. 
Um, and, and the plans move forward, but they did push everything back as much as possible to give those extra weeks to make up games on the back end of the season. It's so interesting to think about. I mean, I like when I think about crowning a champion this year, and this is true. And it feels like in most sports at this point, like whether or not there's an asterisk on this sort of stuff. I mean, it is, I mean, I guess it's good. They have a playoff. So if and when that happens, they'll eventually be able theoretically to crown the champion. But it is kind of wild to think that we could have a team that wins that only played a handful of games. Like, is that yeah. is that a possibility for crowning a champion this year? Well, I think that's what everyone is is super curious about. Like, if you have, you know, Ohio State out of the Big Ten and they only get through, let's say, seven or eight games, but Alabama gets through ten – um, how do you evaluate these teams that are playing different amounts of yeah. games? And the Pac-12 is playing even fewer um, because they're starting the latest. They're starting the weekend of November 7th. So, you know, like what – do you have to be in the same ballpark? Like what what will get to that point? Or what if it's a, you know, a, a, an 8-2 and two team in the SEC versus an undefeated Ohio State? Like it's going to be really fascinating because the whole system is set up with a human selection committee. So there is that subjectivity but it's never been this hard before and, and so reliant on um, the eye test essentially, because you're just not going to have that many data points. And I think that people are very curious to see how that's going to play out and how they're going to actually compare these teams. But you know, what happens if it's really drastic and different and they're not in the same ballpark and it's like five games versus eight, um, five versus nine, I don't know. And then again, for the other bowl games, the selection process, how do you do it? You know, I mean, Houston obviously is not trying not to play their games right now, but they're going to have a drastically different total number of games than other teams that have been able to play three or four games already. So it's sort of wild and, and no one really knows how that's going to play out. But I think adjusting these seasons, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in particular to have a chance, you know, to try to get in that ballpark. The idea is that it gives you something to play for. And I think that that was really important. And that's kind of why you're seeing these players opt back in, because there is something to play for. And even in the Pac-12, starting really late, maybe it's not the college football playoff, but some pretty good bowl games, right? Like, And obviously, there's money tied to playing and making these bowl games, too. But it's this idea of like the motivation for something. Because if you move to the spring and you're the only ones what are you playing towards? Who's going to play? Who wants to play? That kind of messes up your whole timeline for spring, summer, and the fall of next year. So those were all the motivating factors to like get back into the fall, even if you know, you're, you're praying against all odds that you're not going to have disruptions and that you will be able to get enough games in to be considered for the big uh, bowl games or, or the playoff. You might not, but there's other benefits to still get in that time frame. Hmm. It's also interesting to think you mentioned the second wave of COVID that everyone's sort of bracing for. And, you know, I live in Austin and we're all just excited we can go outside again because it's been so hot. But yeah, a lot of the country is about to go inside. Yep. And just even thinking about what impact that will have uh, as we move deeper into the winter and we get closer to all of this. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, something just to follow, I mean, you know, basketball, like college basketball, it's an indoor sport. 
smaller roster. So again, contact tracing could take out more of your team. Right. Uh, it could be a mess. I mean, it, it's already the way people are already starting to try to think about this and figure it out and set minimums for testing. It's a huge challenge. And I do think you can do some bubble, some true bubble environments for tournaments and knock out portions of the season that way or the NCAA tournament. But that's a huge question mark. And you know, NCAA revenue that comes from that tournament that they didn't get last year, like that—that th- that is the next big thing to mm. keep an eye on too. Because and and they're playing in that time of the year that all of these scientists and doctors are telling us like is going to be bad. Yeah, and that's interesting. We'll have to have you come back and talk to us about that. But just I'm interested in the idea of the bubble in general because it's been mentally very exhausting for all these players. Like that's one of the stories we've heard a lot, and just the idea of a student athlete, quote unquote, student athlete and what they're being asked to do Mm -hmm. um, without being paid for it. Uh, Okay. So before I let you go, you have been reporting extensively. Obviously you're so knowledgeable in this. So I want to ask you, what is the wildest story that you've heard about or reported on around the return of college football? Like what's bonkers? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of crazy rumors and, and things to chase down. Um, this happens always with like major stories. This happened with conference realignment. This happens all the time. Um, but there were stretches where this Twitter account that we don't need to tag, but it's Sir Yacht was the name, kept saying that the Big Ten was coming back like right after they voted to postpone and kept saying, oh, there's a meeting of the presidents this day. And then presidents and 80s would come out and say, no, there's no meeting. Um, and it would go on for weeks, but he was just like kind of, there was this hope and like these people hoping that Sir Yacht was going to be right about things. And he just like threw a whole bunch of things out, different start dates that obviously didn't end up happening, meetings throughout all of it. But there was this, this wild, like kind of alternate reality that was happening where people were just kind of trying to will the Big Ten to come back. That sounds like the QAnon of college football yeah. or something like just it was wild and and again like there were there was a lot of just trying to will things to happen and then if you didn't participate in that you were rooting against football and you didn't oh, want yeah, anyone geez. to play so that was that was all happening as well <laughs> um there were some crazy just like you would talk to people and they would either you know not know what was going on in their own league or you know what their own president was doing or like it would change a half hour later And you would also have, um, you know, you just had so many crazy things where like, I would break the news to certain people about stuff that they were directly involved in because they just didn't know. Like it was heard. Yeah. Hadn't heard yet. (laughs) And it was, it was just so wild and it was moving so fast. Things were changing like on a half hour, half hour basis. Um, and there was at one point, like someone I know who's like a scheduling guru who was helping these conferences build these like really kind of collapsible schedules is the way he called them. So they had these shared open dates. He told me he was on a conference call that was scheduled, Zoom call scheduled for 1 a.m. Eastern time. And I was just like, this is incredible. So wow, it was just an insane two-month stretch. I mean, it was insane the entire time through the pandemic. You had so many, you know, ADs in the same conference were meeting like every single day. And everyone's sick of each other by now. Um, and I'm sure they're sick of hearing from me, but it was just wild because the two months where you really had to make the decisions postpone or go, and then the five weeks, six weeks where the, some of those leagues that postponed then flipped, it was just insane. It was insanity. It was 24 seven for everyone in college sports. And you just, you had to keep up with it because it was literally changing minute by minute. Yeah. I would go to your Twitter 
feed. That's the only way that I kept up was like, well, what does Nicole said is happening? Because uh, it's too hard. And especially for someone like me who doesn't pay close attention. Um, I have to have people tell me who's winning and losing games or I, I just miss it totally. Um, okay, final question. Is there a good story? Is there anything positive or hopeful that made you feel good in all of this? So as I mentioned earlier, I, I think that there have been a couple of things that I hope stick from what we've learned during all of this scheduling being number one. I mean, I think we all learned everyone can be a lot more nimble. I think we're learning, you know, even with the way the playoff adjusted that, okay, you don't need a month to prepare for a national semifinal game. Like you can do two weeks and you'll be okay. Um, I, I think that it was maybe a little bit healthy for coaches to not have control over anything for six months. I think that they're so used to that and they didn't handle it very well, I think across the board, but I think it was probably almost like a little bit of a reset for, you know, how these things work. I think a lot of college sports fans now understand the role presidents have in making like the really, really big decisions and that their decisions may not align with their coaches because you had, People like Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin, like rallying against the Big Ten when their presidents voted to postpone. So I think like everyone understood some of that a little bit more. And again, just that coaches can't make things happen on their own. Um, I, I think too, another thing that I liked was I'm, I'm doing a series of kind of like only in 2020 stories. Oh, nice. Um, nice. And the first one was enjoyable to do. It was the guy who is in charge of disinfecting the turnover chain at Miami. <laughs> and it's kind of this idea where it's like, okay, it's really cool. Like this is the, the turnover prop that kind of started them all and, and is iconic. And having it on a sideline is like, there's a sense of normalcy to that. And that, you know, they force the turnover. Everyone gets to celebrate around that guy. And then how do you make that work in a pandemic? So the guy who normally is in charge of like kind of securing it and holding it at all times, because there's a lot of jewels on it. He now has to hand the player a mask, make sure he's wearing the mask before he can put it on. Oh, wow. Um, and then has like all these Lysol wipes so he can, you know, wipe it down before and after. And, but it still exists, right? And so it's kind of like this, um, it's kind of like how college football looks weird, sounds a little bit different when you're watching it, um, but like it still exists. So there's a sense of normalcy, but also the adjustment of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and so doing those types of stories, I think are, are fun and, and they're, you know, I don't know if they're good or positive, but like, I'm enjoying doing that. Cause it's kind of just about how versatile we are and how creative people are and to have something that is important to them or a tradition or something that again, feels normal to them, but make it work and make it work in a safe way, I think is cool. And I think it's interesting. And so I'm going to be doing some stories like that. So if any of you listeners want to send me ideas for them or if you see something, let me know. But I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of unique things that people do to get through 2020, to, to have sports and be part of a team and things that are important to them that are weird and quirky and awesome. And I'm going to find them. That's great. So please tell our listeners where they can read your work and where they can find you online. Yeah. So um, my written work is at The Athletic. Um, Twitter, I'm at Nicole Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. And I also do radio for SiriusXM and TV for the Big Ten Network. So that's a little sporadic, but um, I will tell you when I'm doing it on Twitter. So. And you've been showing up on like morning shows and stuff and you've been all over the place. I, I did. I, um, the ring light that I bought just in case has been very handy and it's been nice because some of those morning shows like CNN and the Today Show and stuff, 
eight crazy hours. So at least I was able to do them for my couch. That was, that was appreciated. That's nice. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on Burn It All Down again and for bringing all this knowledge. I feel like I learned way more about college football in the last half hour than I've known in the last six months. So thank you. Anytime.